excellent stop by Lindgren. Alex Ovechkin rumbling through center with Strom on the drop. Ovechkin closing. Snapshot here. Score! How's that for 801? And now, welcome to the season finale of the Sportscasters. Season 12 has come and gone. Paula, what are you all excited about tonight? Tomorrow's Christmas. That's right. Tomorrow's Christmas. Today is December 23rd, 2022. And what is happening in Buffalo, Paula? Tell the people. It's snowing. It's not just snowing. It's a... A blizzard. The blizzard of 22, call, I'm naming it the Grinch, has come to town to ruin Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are hunkered down here at 1420 Walk Road Sportscasters headquarters in North Tonawanda, New York. Hunkered down, Daddy, Mama, Paula, and Colston. And we were lucky enough before the storm came to record two interviews this week. One with the great John Wertheim, executive editor of Sports Illustrated. Yep, and 60 Minutes, who once wrote an article about me. Yeah, Dad, Dad. Yeah. (laughs) And also on the show today, first time he's been on in a while, also an SI guy, Chris Ballard is on the show. He wrote one of my favorite books in the history of the show (gasps) called One Shot at Forever. And he joins us today to talk about a new book that he worked on editing called the Sports Illustrated Basketball Vault, a collection of Sports Illustrated articles over the years. So here's what we're going to do today. Woo! Oh, here's what we're going to do today. We are going to <laughs> talk with Paula for a second, uh, talk a little bit about sports, what's been going on. Then we're going to take a break. We'll come back with John Wertheim. Uh, then in- instead of a book club update today, Paula has some emails that she wants to read and answer the questions from the emails, this is something we usually do on the 24-inch podcast, but we'll give you a preview into what it's like when Paula does her emails, uh, and then we'll be back for one last thing, and I will look back on the year that was in 2022 and the the season 12 of the Sportscasters. Whoa! Paula, what are you most excited for for Christmas now that it's here, now that it's finally here? Well, I'm mostly... Got to talk into the mic, though, or no one can hear you. Well, I'm mostly... Excited for uh, spending time with my family and friends. Yeah, it's mostly just going to be your family, though, because I don't know if any friends are going to be able to make it in here, huh? At least not until the storm passes. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe as your break goes on, you'll be able to uh, to see some friends. What are some gifts you're hoping that Baba Natalie brings you? Uh, I'm. You got to tell them that that what, that what me first. Baba Natalie is what mm-hmm. Italians call Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited because I put a lot of weird, like, massage stuff on. Yeah, you want a massage chair? Mm-hmm. Oh. And a foot massager. A foot massager, too? You nut. And a back massager. And a back massager? <laughs> Let me ask you this. How do you think the 2022 Saints have been this year? 
Okay. Okay. They don't. Okay, this is gonna be. Be honest. This is gonna be well, but they've been not good. No, they stink, <laughs> huh? They got like five million loss and yeah. zero wins. Yeah, they stink. <laughs> they are the stink. We can't stand stink them, right? Stink club. Yeah. We can't wait for this season to be over because the Saints stink. They did win last week. Yeah. They beat Atlanta, who's our rival. So even when the Saints stink, we still kill Atlanta, which is good. Uh, the Sabres have been doing really well, playing really well. Tage Thompson's just out of his mind. He's become a superstar in the league. We even saw one of his goals. Yeah, when we were, went to the Tampa Bay game, Tage Thompson scored a sweet goal, actually. And he scored five goals in a game recently. Holy moly! And now that the World Cup is over, who won the World Cup? I'm trying to think of their name. Who's their superstar player? Messi. Yeah, Messi's team, Argentina. He's very rich. Yeah. There's like several TikToks of him on YouTube right now. Yeah. One, Messi, Messi, <laughs> Messi, 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 Messi. He's everywhere, huh? <laughs> What's that song? Sing the World Cup. World Cup. <laughs> World Cup took over World TikTok, right? Cup. But now that it's over, we don't have to be upset that Italy's not in it anymore. It's, it's in the past. Now we're looking forward to 2023 and Euro Cup qualifying. How many World Cups has Italy won? Four. That's right, four. And how many European championships has Italy won? Two. So that makes how many huge championships in our in our, in our our shelf, in our trophy case? Six. Seven. Six big trophies. Oh, six. Six big trophies. But I wish there was seven. Oh, don't we all? But we'll have to work on number seven, right? Maybe the Euro, 2023 Euro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. We got cheated. Even when we play... Um, France are the big France. cheaters, yeah. Even when we play, like, video games? Yeah, even on FIFA. Do you have any video game things on your list or anything like that? I forgot to write them. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I was, like, focus on girl stuff. I forgot to put Nintendo Switch. Nintendo Switch, you want that? Yeah, I forgot to put it on my list. Would that be a dream come true if you got it? Yeah. Yeah. I would try to like put stuff on the list because it's like one day until Christmas, so I was like <laughs> trying to hustle, and I was, and you just remind me of like, oh my god, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but Santa will probably know because he's hearing us right now. Yeah, Bobo Natalie knows everything, right? Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a break. We'll come back with John Wertheim, and then after that interview, Paula and I will be back. To talk about some emails that she gets. Woo! Who's got emails? Who emailed us tonight? Gregory, Willow, Coaston, Mommy, Daddy, okay, Uncle the, Anthony. The usuals? <laughs> All right. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with uh, and John Wertheim. <laughs> Our first guest tonight. Grew up in Indiana and is a graduate of Yale University. He is the executive editor of Sports Illustrated magazine. He also is a correspondent for 60 Minutes. Yes, 60 Minutes. And he's the one person crazy enough to write a story about me for Sports Illustrated. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend John Wertheim. Hey, John, how you doing tonight? I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing good. You're in Boston? Uh, kind of. There's a storm coming through, so I figured instead of taking an early morning train or flight, I'd just come up uh, 
Just came up the night before. Yeah, we're supposed quick to get trip. Some, trip. something this weekend, I think. Some like effect. We had around yeah. Thanksgiving. Well, you probably realized the Bills got their game moved or whatever. But it's funny where I live. I live in the northern suburbs of Buffalo. And okay. The, and the snow bands that are lake effect specifically are usually more south. Like the ski resorts and stuff are in the southern tier. Right? So like where the okay. Bills Stadium got, I think, like seven feet, like right in Orchard Park and Hamburg. I think we got six, five inches. <laughs> so we, oh, got, man. we got lucky this time. Yeah. So at the lake for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Who knows? Right. Um, you were in Europe, right? Live practically living there. What are you, are you moving on us or what's, what's going on? You, you buy continental um, now, forget by no, coastal. I'm going by continental. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, um, it's funny you say that. We're just talking about that. Yeah, I, we we were in Europe for uh, oh man, March, April, May. Most of yeah, there through the French yeah. Open. I, yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think you know, with any luck, maybe this is an annual thing. Um, you know, with sixty minutes, I can load up the Europe stories, and they they like it that they don't. You know, it's it sort of works out for everyone. Probably saves them on T and E, and it saves me in jet lag and. So kind of go out there, start of the French, come home, the end of the Wimbledon. I don't, I don't, my my wife's French is really good. My French is just, I'm past the point in my life where I can learn another language. I mean, it's <laughs> I was going to say, is that where you tragic. go, France? Is that where you go? Like, did you stay uh, in one yeah. country yeah, or many? Yeah, to Paris. Well, I, you know, it's funny you say that because because we were like, oh, we'll do one country, we'll do a different country every year, <laughs> and we did Paris, and we just had this great place and this great time, and Paris is the greatest, and it's so cool and small and sort of uh, manageable and then we're like why you know what why are we chancing a good thing so you're just gonna stay there so i think we'd probably go back to paris do yeah. you have european heritage in your your wife's family like are you something? um i mean i i have a german passport which is i mean like an eu passport which is oh. awesome um but my i mean my, my my wife is really she's she's quite a good french speaker okay um I got no, I have no game. I have no French <laughs> game whatsoever. But uh, you know, everyone speaks English. You make an honest effort, and I, mean, I, I think the one thing I didn't even realize this until living there. But you know, going to these other cities and countries, it's like going from New York to Philly. Like, right? Yeah, no, you know, all I mean, those countries are close, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd go to like you know, you'd go to like Switzerland for lunch, and you'd sure. be home by. I mean, it's just yeah. You know, it's everything's a ninety-minute flight, and it's it's pretty easy to get around. So even though we were, you know, we'll be based in Paris, but I, I imagine we'll be you do a lot of travel within Europe when you're there. Well, I'm like about seventy-five percent Italian, maybe even a little bit more, and uh, was ra- was raised Italian, and but I'm uh, very much a um, domestic traveler, uh, especially since I've been sick because I've always just thought like, oh, if I wake up one day and they got to take my colon out, I want to be here when it happens. Um, now, notwithstanding Canada, Toronto, and I was going to say because I live right uh, on the border, so I've, I've been yeah, to Canada right. a million times, right? Socialized medicine, though. But uh, but um, since my daughter's been born, and um, I, you know, it was very important to me to kind of raise her. See, what happened was when my great grandma, my grandmother passed away, a lot of the Italian in my life did it as well. You know, the the generations next after them weren't as good as keeping the big families and doing the Sunday dinners and all those traditions. So now I was like, I want to try to get that back. And now she's really into it and she really wants to go to Italy. So I'm trying to uh, I'm going to I think I'm going to do it at some point. Why not? Do it, man. Yeah. 
If they got to take my colon out, they can do it there, right? They'll do it for free. Come on. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is like, it's like going to L.A. I mean, you're, you're not going to the depths of, you know, the Chilean salt flats here. I right, mean, right, right, right. If, you, if you come home, you'll, yeah. you know, it's a seven hour flight. You'll sure. be fine. No, you're right. You're right. So, yeah, we'll get there, I guess. She's get, she went there in school right now. They're, they have passports and they're going to different countries during social studies class to learn about how they celebrate Christmas there. And she came home, I think, Monday or Tuesday all fired up because she went to Italy and she told everyone she's Italian and she knew all the she knew all the you know how to say Merry Christmas and Santa Claus and all that already. That's awesome. So That's yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Um Good well so it's kind of like so you kind of go there at the start of the French Open and then after Wimbledon kind of come home. Is that kind of the schedule? But sometime before the US Open you get back kind of a thing or whatever. No, it's more uh it's like March 1st. Okay. And uh, stay through the French Open. What did I do last year? I, I guess last year I stayed through the French Open, came home for a few weeks, went back to Wimbledon. But uh, no, I think it's um, sort of go go through the spring and the French Open's kind of the tail end of it. Gotcha. So we do this a lot, like basically every year. You come out around this time. And one thing I like to always do is I like to kind of take, take, take an inventory with you. So got 60 minutes we got sports illustrated i know uh, last year at this time there was like a mystery perlman project I, I think i heard a little bit about that but i don't know what i heard like off the record so i won't say anything yet but before we get into all that like when you look back when you get into 2023 and you look back at 2022 what 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 how do you feel about how things have gone the year for you what, what kind of year was it for uh john Wertheim in 2022 you think oh man um Boy, I hadn't really taken inventory like that. No, I, you know, good, good year. Just try to keep the trains running. Yeah, did my Sports Illustrated. Did a bunch of stuff at sixty. I had this, um, I had this Ohio State Michigan documentary come out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Pretty, you know, it's it was a bit busy year. Lived, you know, spent spent that time in Europe, but. Uh, Man, I hadn't really thought about it. You, uh, you're asking me to take inventory. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't know. You know, just you just keep keep the trains running. What uh, what what do you look forward to in 2023? What should we expect more of the same? Is there more you can say about the Proman project? Is there some other thing brewing? I don't know. Scorecasting too. Do we unearth Tobias and he's ready to do a book? <laughs> you know, like what what else is in the you know in the oh, in, yeah, man. 2023? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got some stuff going on. I have this Ohio State project with um, it was sort of George Clooney and his oh, just Clooney production that's it. company. Okay. Uh, right. Well, it's uh, <laughs> I gotta I gotta think to what extent I'm allowed. I, that that should be coming out in 2023. It's, okay, um, it was based on a story I wrote about um, a sexual assault. Oh, uh, wow sort of scandal at Ohio State and um the it was wrestling? based on a sports illustrated yeah exactly yeah, based okay. on a sports illustrated story. So I know I read that. Um, yeah. I think uh that'll that'll be out I guess I'm allowed to talk about it. No, I don't know. I think that'll that'll be out in twenty twenty three with any luck. Okay. We got um, about a week yeah, before this is gonna go up. So if you say anything in the next few days you decide you want it out, I can put it out retroactively. Right, gotcha. So yeah. I think we're okay. I think we're okay. okay. <laughs> All right. I don't want to get you in trouble of course. So I'm on IMDB so it's oh, yeah if it's there it's there it's out there right um what about the perlman thing we talking about that yet it's a book project right no no, no. uh it's a screenwriting project oh that um, that's right that's what i meant so to say. uh yeah. 
Yeah, better, better. Okay. Tread, tread I know I've seen somewhere something about it, though. One of you guys had said something about it. I can't remember exactly what. Probably but. Jeff. He's, okay. he's the least canon. Usually he's very, very tight-lipped. Like, to get anything Jeff? out of him. Yeah. Well, Person? about, like, what his projects are. <laughs> what I, well, right. I, I'm being very specific. Gotcha. He's very tight-lipped about, like, what his next book is going to be. Yes. He had that disaster with the, was it the Bonds or the Clemens book? Maybe Bonds, where they it, he said what it was, and then someone else wrote a book, and he doesn't think it's a coincidence and whatever. So, but uh, sometimes, so he usually doesn't say. I usually figure it out. Oh, I haven't talked to him as much recently, but um, I love the Bo Jackson book, but... uh. All right, nothing there. That's fine. Um, what do you, what are you hoping for with Sports Illustrated in twenty twenty three? How do you think twenty twenty two went? More specifically for SI, um, I know when we talked last year. You said that there was going to be some more podcast stuff. I didn't notice anything remarkably different during the year. Maybe I missed it. Like I said I had a rough first eight months, so I could have easily missed something. But what do you think about SI and its future and where it's going and what you think twenty twenty two into twenty twenty three? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, it's no no secret. It's uh, ch- challenging times for media. There's still a sure. lot of good people there. There's still a lot of good stories. I mean, it's it's a little weird, honestly, because we don't have physical space. We don't have offices anymore. Right, that is weird. So, I mean, I honestly, I feel, you know, sort of story comes up and you do it, but it's not like you're... We're, we're, you know, we were talking talking about sort of you'd, you'd see Grand Wall in the halls, and that yeah. that physical space doesn't really exist anymore. So, um, no, I think you know Sports Illustrated ch- chugs along, and there's still a lot of talent there, and there's still a lot of stories. And you know, someone wins a World Series, and Verducci, you can bank, is going to do the the best piece on it. Yeah, you know the Pat Forty, and I mean, you know, you sort of the the roster is still flush with talent, and. Um, it's just, honestly, it's just a little strange, you know, obviously this isn't unique to sports illustrated, but, um, you know, COVID, COVID uh, was a thing. Um, not having a physical office is an adjustment. And I think, you know, people sort of shrugged and said, well, you know, we've been zooming for the last two years anyway, or we're all doing our jobs. Yeah. We don't have to commute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, um, I, I do think there's like a very, um, distinct change in culture when you don't have a physical space to go to. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I think I talked to Lee Monville about this. Like he was talking about, the Boston Globe. We had this great bullpen, and I think about like Sports Illustrated, especially this week. Right, there's been so many stories told um, around Grant. With you know, he was in my office, or we were doing this together. This is at SI, and it, it's hard to create a great a bullpen type culture to use those um, analogies if there's no actual bullpen. Right, you know, it makes it a little bit more different, difficult, I guess. I mean, you could still go out to the mound and, and make the pitches and, and have the strikeouts and stuff, but maybe something's lost by not being able to put bubbles on each other's hats and eat sunflower seeds out in the outfield for seven yeah, minutes. We're, we're really, uh, we're really, <laughs> really going to take that metaphor. The distance. That was good. Uh, huh? That was good. No, I, like that. I, I mean, I feel like, it, you know, it's not unique to, uh, you know, I mean, again, this is, there are yeah. plenty of lawyers that used to go to the law firm. And yep. now Save for my wife. She's in there. prevention. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep. So, um, and you know, I mean, whatever it's, it's great for, for family and work-life balance. And, uh, I used to go to the office a fair amount. Um, but 
there's something really cool about it. You know, it's it's noon and I'm not really feeling it and my laptop. I think I'm going to go on the treadmill for an hour. Like there, there are definitely advantages yeah, to oh, this yeah. uh, telecommuting, but uh, I do think I do think hybrid is the way to go. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to go five days a week and deal with commutes and parking and train delays. But I also think uh, having no office whatsoever is a little weird. Yeah, I like the hybrid thing too. Uh, 60 Minutes, I was telling you I was watching it one night with my daughter, and it was the night your Deion Sanders story was on, and I was bragging to her about how I knew you, and and she was actually impressed by that. So I was really happy about that so before or after he uh so left yeah before and it was interesting because he basically said in the piece that he's probably leaving right i mean you asked the question and he kind of said like i don't know to me i got the impression that he if the right offer and the right money and all that and i understand i totally understand what were your thoughts when you heard he left were you not surprised were you surprised and i know he did take a little bit of blowback from certain people maybe bamani jones maybe i'm unfairly singling him out maybe with someone else but i know some people felt like that he maybe um let some people down i don't know what the right word is i don't know if it's yeah people were disappointed I mean, he left i guess yeah, it's probably the easiest like, way to say it yeah i i think if if he had said you know what it's my mission to build up these historically black schools and especially jackson state and i want to stay here and see this thing out and get us to a level where we're bringing in the revenue like that's awesome. That that's your Hollywood story. I mean, back in the real world, you kind of knew that if somebody's going to pay you literally twenty times what right. you're making, yeah, the, you know their yeah. decisions kind of been made for you. I mean, to me, I was a. I was kind of like Colorado, really. Like, if you're if you're gonna leave, you you built this thing up, maybe Auburn, you all this buzz, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, like that gonna, was like, open. Like, right. oh, okay, I'd get that. Yeah. Go to, uh, you know, if you're going to be the new coach at, you know, Auburn's a good example. Right, because it was open. Right. Yeah. Um, But you're like, you're going to Boulder, Colorado, and I'm thinking about all these kids who came to Jackson, Mississippi, who could have played at Power 5, and now they're going to transfer to Boulder, and going there on a private plane and telling these kids to transfer, the whole thing was just kind of icky. And it also, to me, it's like (laughs) literally the worst I mean, bottom 10%, right, as as far as Power 5 programs, Colorado. Well, they had one win last year. Yeah, so yeah. it's like if you're if you're going to leave Jackson State for, for whatever, I mean, pick your – Yeah, Oklahoma or, yeah, like we said, Auburn. Exactly. Or, right, you're going to go to – A blue go blood to Oklahoma. of some kind. Yeah. Right, yeah. that's awesome. But you're basically saying any Power 5 job, no matter how crappy the program, no matter how remote, no matter how white the campus – is better than where I'm at now. I, I feel like it was kind of, I, you know, whatever you do what you got to do. Yeah. And I, I get it. The money's the money. And I don't begrudge anyone that better opportunity, but you're kind of like, really your, your whole thing about how I'm not doing this for the money and my mission and that, and you're yep. going to going to Colorado. I, I, think, I don't know. It's I just, think the luggage part of it, you know, I'm bringing my luggage with me. Yeah. Bringing my Louie. Yeah. yeah I on, think, dude. I think a little bit of that, like you use the word icky. That's a good word. I don't know if I would have thought of that one, but that works. I just think that you sold something to these kids about this place. And I get why you would leave because like you said, 20 times, you know, 20 million bucks, whatever. And I can push back a little bit on like why Boulder makes sense. I mean, he, no matter what, he almost can't fail there, right? Because it'll never be worse than it was. So 
It's low risk for him. I think he almost can't fail. There's probably low expectation. Anything he does, if he wins five games next year, they're gonna be like, whoa, yeah, he's a savior. Yeah, whoa, whoa. yeah. But um, I do. I kind of feel like maybe you should have let the players that you brought there outside of his son. That's his son. I get that. But the number one overall recruit. Why not just say like, I don't know. Did you bring him there just to be with you, or did you bring him there because of all that stuff you're saying about HBUs and they should be in the running for these kids and all that? So I could see where that might upset someone, but I don't know. It's like icky. That's college football. Like I'm, a, I'm a, I followed the Sooners because I had a friend who played there when I was a kid. Look what happened with Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. Like that's as snaky and dirty of a move as you can get with Lincoln Riley. So I hate him for life, but I understand Caleb Williams. You know, I get it. You know, like if the if the coaches can do it, you got to let the players. So right. maybe what I'm saying is stupid about the players, but I I, I guess um, there's something about it. Maybe a deck I could see where if you were super into it and how it played out and it was you were really happy with me if you're a, an alum there you, you're really into the future of those HBU colleges you might feel bad and I I would understand that if that was how you felt you know yeah I just you know I think I think a lot of kids from the area that could have gone to bigger schools went to go play for Jackson State and build this and try to sort of. Right. At least not with the portal, though. They're not stuck. Yeah. Like, they can get out. No, like, no, but that's know. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like, even that. But but it's one thing. If, you, if you're if you coming from a neighboring state and you're going to Jackson, Mississippi, and your parents can drive to the games, and, you know, you could have gone to Florida, but you went to, you know, you went to Jackson. That's okay. But now you're going to tell these kids, if you want to come with me, I'm going to be in Boulder, where your parents can't drive to the games, where it's not the same school where the racial composition of the city and the state, the town is so much different. I mean, I don't know. I yeah. just, the, the whole I thing kind of, no, I, hear I don't think it was uh, particularly dignified. I would say this. I wouldn't get too comfortable if I was a Colorado fan though. You know what I mean? I think, you know, one 10 win season and you know, I, I think they're going to be bigger schools calling right at some point. I, Cause I, so for him, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, mean, I think Deion too. Sanders, no, no one's, yeah, I think he could be the best recruiter of all time. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a. Right. You know, I just think. So, I if I was a big Colorado fan, I might not. I, I got to say nervous. too, when I when yeah. I went there, he was he knew all these kids. He knew which of them came from single parent homes and which of them had married parents. He knew, you know, what the kicker had done in high school. He re- it wasn't just. Sort of like the, the CEO who makes his appearance, and then he's got this whole staff. Like he really knew these kids, and he got there early, and he went through his health issues there. I mean, there was real connection. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he could be a great recruiter. But yeah, that's actually a good point. I mean, n- nobody says, "Oh, my dream job is Colorado." I mean, that's look at Mel Tucker. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a stepping stone. Anyway. No, I think so, there's yeah, still great. bigger yeah. and better things for him. Still, right. you know, I think it, you know, two years from now, if you were to tell me, you know, he's going to be at. You know, I don't know Notre Dame or USC. I don't know, whatever big historic. Not sure. Not sure. I see D out of Notre Dame. But right, your right, point, yeah, point, maybe that's a bad taken. one. But you point, know what I mean. Point uh, uh, point taken. Yeah, uh, a traditional power, uh, Michigan, right. Ohio State. Right. I don't know. Whatever one. I don't know if I would have seen him at Boulder. So it's hard to it's hard to say what he will or won't do. I guess. I think Deion Sanders very much does whatever Deion Sanders decides he wants to do. I guess in right. the end. 
Uh, did you have a favorite 60 Minutes story this year? Is there one looking back? You're like, that was... Because I know my favorite last year for you was the Beatles one with oh, Peter Jackson. That? and Remember the... the oh, really? I, well, oh, I just love that Seriously? documentary. Yeah, because I just love that documentary and um, love that. I just love that. Everything about that. So, I, it might, you know, like at that point, like I love that documentary yeah. and old... Sports Illustrated just wrote an article about me, and the guy who wrote the article is doing this story. On, like, so I was into that one. That so that's for that year. This year, do you have a favor from this year? Um, man, I gotta think what I've done this year. Uh, what did I do this year? Sue Bird was cool. I did. Uh, that one hasn't aired yet. Um, no, I did one last week on the Mag- Magic College was fun. I liked. Uh, had a pool hustling piece that was kind of fun oh, i like the pool back in uh, yeah i like that one back in kid delicious mode uh what else did i do south africa was um yeah i don't know it was a fun fun year have you been uh, have you been yeah, into world cup been, at all uh have i been into world cup you know like yeah you, you get yeah, into it i mean like, i'm you know i mean i feel like uh feel like it should never be held where it is oh definitely yes but Awful. i know but i feel yeah. like we're all we all <laughs> do the same thing which is in the run-up we're all kind of upset and then all of a sudden the game started and we're like all right well it's pretty cool and morocco sure is fun and right. messy and you yeah. know harry kane misses a penalty kick because well, um, they got us by the cojones right i mean we still love sport you know what i mean like so what do you do because I mean, I know from my perspective, like, I'm just a fan. I don't have any influence. You know what I mean? There's nothing I can do. You know, I, and my team isn't in it, by the way. So, I, look at it, I've been very, right, ho- I've, been, exactly. I've been very hostile about it. Believe me. Uh, if there's any reason to hate this World Cup, I'm there to hate it with you. Um, because uh, I feel pissed off in general. Um, and part because Italy, because Italy won the Euros but didn't qualify. Well, yeah, well, part of that, but and I mean, part, the big reason we didn't qualify is Jorginho, Jorginho didn't make a penalty, two penalties. You know what I mean? Just make one of the two penalties against Switzerland and qualify, and we're gonna make it. Yeah, no, I have right. some particular gripes about, like, if you look at Germany, if you look at their group that they qualify. This is all in the past stuff I've already screamed and yelled about many times, and listeners are like, seriously again. But um. <laughs> Just when your team's not in it, you just have a bitter feeling. Just in general, is your team's not there. It sucks. It's soul crushing. Like when they were when they were putting the rosters out, you know, every day a new team would. It's just like soul crushing that you know your team's not there. It's awful, um, especially when you're riding such a high. Like to go from the high of winning the Euros to not make it's a huge drop. But um, and like I just keep telling Paul we got cheated. Like if you ask Paul why Italy didn't make it, we got cheated. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't want to break it to her that. Jorginho kicked the ball 20 feet over the net on a penalty. Um, no, my point was just that, like, I hate it, too. I hate it that it's there. I hate it's in the winter. I hate how much these guys play. And I think that one of the reasons Italy isn't there is Chiesa got hurt. And one of the reasons Chiesa got hurt is because you're just constantly playing, especially when they're playing catch, yeah, right, playing right. catch up, you know, during COVID. This was canceled. This got moved and just too much. But, no, I hate it, too. But I think the World Cup or any event, the Olympics, all these different things, I just feel like I can't do anything. I can be mad. I can say I'm mad. But then when it starts, what do I do? Do I just then say, like, boycott it, I guess? But who would care? What does it matter? I might as well watch it and enjoy it as best I can, right? I don't know. Yeah, you know, we all, we all sort of have to f- figure out where to uh, where we draw these lines. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, exactly. Yeah. We're all... Um, no, someone, someone was saying that about live golf too. They're like, I'm not watching live golf because the, the, it's Saudi backed. And, and you're like, yeah, 
that's fine. But you know, you know what Saudi invests in Facebook and in Uber and you know, you're, you know, you're, you're taking an Uber. Right. Um, so, you know, we all have to, yeah, I try to avoid, choices. I try to avoid big sweeping declarations like that because I just feel like it's too, it, everything is so intertwined. It's so difficult. You know what I mean? It's like, like, I, I like, I don't know. You know, people are mad. They don't like, um, what's his name? Musk or whatever. They don't think a billionaire should be involved in a media company like that, but they read the Washington Post, right? So, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't know. They like that billionaire. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I just, yeah, I, I, I mean, feel like every flip, time you turn around, you like, walk you into a draw, wall yeah, somewhere. But the flip side is like, there's, they're probably some universals and they're probably, you know, 7,000 workers dying for your sporting event is, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we all, we all make these moral choices, but, um, but it, it does, it does feel a if if icky's our operative word tonight, sure, icky's um, the word of the, it, and know, it's fair. It's, it's a fair word for it for sure. Two hundred twenty. I feel like also you you've heard this like two hundred twenty five billion dollars, which is what they, the Qataris paid to stage this, and you know some sure. of this is infrastructure and then yep. rail and all that, but, but you know two hundred twenty. 220 billion, 225 billion is the figure, and everyone sort of says it, and it glosses over, and then you're like, wait a second, the the Phoenix Suns bid just came for three billion dollars the Qataris could have bought the nba like twice <laughs> over like, like when yeah. you say wait a second yeah that's good perspective 220 yeah. billion, like that's the, yeah. that's the entire nba like two and a half times over that's that's a lot of investment so um yeah i don't know i mean the other thing too i i just don't th- does this make people want to go to Qatar and do business in Qatar or do we think this backfired in terms of publicity and national image and, and that kind of thing? Um, I I don't don't know the answer, but but, you know, I mean, there's an awful lot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, one game, one game to go. Yeah. SI sports person of the year. Steph Curry was named it. Correct. Am I right about that? Correct. Was that your vote? Was there anyone else? Mike, Mike Rosenberg uh, wrote a very fine story. Um, yeah, I, I think it's an unimpeachable choice, wouldn't you say? Ah, I like Steph Curry. He's awesome. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. awesome. Warriors are back. It's a new team. He's mid-30s and better than ever. I mean, it's... No beef um, with the pick. No yeah. beef with the pick. I, I, don't, yeah. I was going to say, I, I, don't, I don't... You know, sometimes it's like, what? Sometimes yeah. you can have a pretty good debate. It's, it's like Zelensky is a... It's funny, I had lunch with someone from Time Magazine. They're telling me the, the person of the year was Zelensky. Yeah, no, I would have picked someone else there, but that's okay. Who would you have picked, though? Oh, I don't know. Someone else. I'm not a big Zelensky fan. No? No. I was at first, but I, I, feel, like like I, I feel like I was played a little bit there. But I don't know. I, I don't know enough about you. Maybe he was beats, a great beats pick. The al- beats the alternative, I'd say. But no, yeah. I... I um, He's better than Putin, yeah, if we're, rank- if we're ranking no, uh, I, um, leaders in the battle. I would definitely right. put him out of Putin. That's but he was saying the same yeah. thing. He, he, he said he had not... Some some years there's a vigorous debate and uh, spirited conversation. Like I don't, I don't think a lot of people took issue with that choice, besides you. No, I don't um, have issue with it. I just would have probably picked yeah. someone else. That's all. I mean, I'm the, not like uh, out protesting the Zelensky pick or anything. 
You're all you're all right with Curry though. Yeah. No, Curry. I think my favorite all time sportsman of the year debate was Richard Deitch and I one time were debating whether or not one of the horses would come to the yeah, dinner if he yeah, wanted. Right. I think Serena Williams was picked and I think the complaint Yeah, overall, you're right. Very good. Yeah, the, the complaint Man, that year you. was maybe she wasn't even the best tennis player that year, that it should have been you know, probably Djokovic or Nadal or Federer, whichever one it was that year. Um I think that was a debate and then it's like, well, if not her, the horse well, if it's the horse, can, yeah, can Sports show, Illustrated yeah, get the horse to the event, or you know what would exactly. it be? Exactly. Yeah. You have to get a prompter. <laughs> you have to get a prompter. So, yeah. so sometimes I think the point is sometimes this stuff can be silly. I have no problem with Zelensky or uh, or uh, Curry Steph or whoever Curry. is picked. You know what I mean? Like it's fine, whatever. Yeah. I was glad Drew Brees was picked once. That was awesome. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that yeah, was my just guy. guy. You know I just I mean? saw Drew, Drew Brees to uh... Purdue. Interim. Drew Brees to Purdue, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I heard he said tonight he doesn't plan on coaching beyond this. He just wanted to help with the transition. Whatever, whatever, yeah, dude. I think it's recruiting because he's yeah. getting a recruiting waiver. So I think he's. I think they're. I think he's basically just gonna be making phone calls and you know trying. To, I don't. I don't think he's gonna be on the field with a clipboard or anything. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, look at he. I love Drew Brees forever, but um, I'm not as interested in his pickleball or his uh. Um, yeah, you know, his coaching on. or anything else as I was his quarterback, Brad- I mean, that's for sure. I'm trying to get him on the Brad- show. Broadcasting? Yeah. I'm trying to get him on the show, and I, I, I am in regular contact with his guy. He's got, like, a guy that you go to. And uh, the guy said, yeah, he'll come on, but not now, and stay in touch. And he didn't know me. He probably wishes he didn't say that. You know, uh, so I stay in touch, and I uh, remind him I'm looking for Drew to be on. So I was disappointed when I heard this because I'm like, oh, that's another – Four months, it probably won't happen because he'll be saying he's busy doing that. But I'm trying one of these days. He'll do it. One of these days, the guy will get sick he'll of me. He'll do it. He'll yeah, he'll get sick of me. Um, all right. Uh, the sportscasters here finishing up with uh, my man of the year, John Wertheim, uh, who comes on almost all the time around this time of the year and other times as well. And has been coming on since 2011. I think the very first time Ooh. there was maybe a Tiki Barber piece that I you had written for the magazine. And I thought, oh, I should. And to be honest, at that point, I I knew everyone at SI's email because of they were all the same, and I had figured that out. So <laughs> if you look at the first twelve episodes, they're all it's SI people. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had figured out like, okay, Richard Deitch's is Richard at SImail dot com. Let me see if you know uh, Peter King's is Peter dot King, well, and, and it was. Nice. And you know, I figured. So a lot of the uh, first twenty guests were SI people, but um, and then. Many of your books, what we had scorecasting, we had, um, what was the other one like scorecasting, but called something different? What was that one called? Your brain on sports. Yes. And then glory days. Well, last year we had that one, uh, many books over the years and, um, many articles and many stories and all that. So, um, all right, let's get you out of here on this. One more thing. As you wrote in the article, I always keep saying one more thing at the end. Um, so we have to keep up. (laughs) (laughs) We have to keep up that tradition. Um, what what's uh what what what's the big things for 2023? What are you what are you most interested in? What's on your notebook? What do you want to do a story on? What what as you go into next year? What are you most ambitious or uh what are you thinking about the most? Again, this is a ramble on question, but I'm known for those too. So go ahead. Oh man, what am I most uh? You know, what do you want your 2023 to be? Is there a story yeah, you want to write? Know. I mean, is I'm, there one you, you know, shoot? we'll see this. Uh... The mystery. Yeah, screen, I got. I got. I got to be a little. Thing. I got to be a little. Uh, I was going to say. We'll yeah. see how the screenwriting goes. We'll see, yeah. 
we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens with Perlman. We'll see about this. You know, I mean, we'll see about this Ohio State documentary. There's another documentary project I'm involved. In. It's it's hard. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. More more of the same. Do do some tennis. Try to do some enterprising stuff and uh, full boat of sixty minutes. And you know, sadly, it doesn't really doesn't leave me any time for books, but. Yeah, no yeah, books on the horizon. I just don't have the bandwidth, honestly. I'd yeah. love to, but maybe uh, you say that jokingly. You mentioned Toby. Maybe maybe Toby and I will uh, <laughs> come up with another score casting. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the the good thing about sixty minutes is just you just never know assignment to assignment. So, have you been into my next? Have you been into USC that? still? Have you been? Because I know to you at. Wait, UFC, like big Big Ten bound USC. No, the oh, U- oh, oh, UFC. No, absolutely. No, yeah. I love you. You know, I that's why I still. I, you know what? You know what? I'm really not into, which I'm so disappointed by, is the slap fighting. Yeah, that's odd. What that's are really they doing? Odd. Yeah, it's I'm really just odd. So like, um, but no, I, I, you know, UFC is kind of in a weird. If if I said to people, even like sports fans, if there were still an SI office, and I said, who were the five biggest UFC? Right, fighters? who's their star? Yeah. What do they say right now? I mean, Patty, what's that guy's Con- name? Conor McGregor. Patty yeah, was... but he's, I mean, he's kind of been Patty the Batty. Patty the Batty. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's got Barstool and he's kind of a character, but I don't think anyone would say he's a particularly good fighter. He should have lost his, you know, he's lucky he won his last fight. Right. It was in a kind you of know, a scandal, or I don't know if it's, scandal, yeah, people it's, thought the it other was, guy won. it was not a well judged yeah. affair. But, but, all, but even so, I mean, regardless, he, this is not a, this is what champion. Vince McMahon always said, though. He always said the problem with UFC is they're, not they won't be able to protect their stars. They won't have stars, and when they have well, they, stars, he's wrong, yeah. right? But when they're in periods well, where they well, the don't, the problem with stars is they get too big, they, for and the they lose too promotion. No, no, but also they get too big for the promotion. And right. Conor McGregor can say, you know, I can go box Mayweather for a hundred million dollars. What do I need you for? And they don't pay particularly so, great, right? UFC. No, I mean I think that that's the point. I mean the market yeah. is such that the. The UFC wants you. If if you and I, the UFC's attitude is like, look, if if the two of us fought, people would go just because it's a UFC fight. When the stars get too much leverage, that's when this thing teeters. Sure. So, you know, you have champions, and then they lose, and you've got, you know, there's there's really not. I mean, to, to the average sports fan. If you if you were SI and you said who who are the five biggest fighters, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. Yeah, I can I can name some names, but they're not going to resonate. You know, Volkanovsky. I mean, if I say, you know, who, whoever, I start I start ticking off these names and Cyril gone and don't nobody knows who. So I I think there's really a star vacuum right now with with the UFC. And it seems a lot of times like if I hear part of a Dana Dana White press conference or whatever. A lot of the questions are, what about this guy from the past? Is, like John Jones, is it possible he's going to fight again? You know, will Connor come back? Like, it feels like there is that. Right. And, you know, I, I'll let you go in a second. I'm sorry. But with tennis, with Serena retiring, the big three and the men's side, are, are they in that period too where maybe they're transitioning a little bit? Do you, do you, are, you, do you, are you nervous for tennis that maybe as Nokovic and Federer and um, Nadal, as they get older, like I said, Serena's gone – Will there be a void there, that is, or is, do you see the players in the pipeline that will just kind of ascend to it? Yeah, I mean, tennis is going to have a bit of a 
you know, they'll have to build some stars back up and maybe it's a disguised blessing, but this is like, I would say it's like, it's like post Jordan NBA. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, whatever. And then eventually like Kobe and LeBron come along and everything's okay. And this this Alcaraz who won the U S open is 19 and he's going to be great, but yeah, they're going to be a couple of lean years. And And I think NASCAR had it. Like that's a sport like the with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson and yeah exactly Dale Earnhardt exactly. maybe a little bit before that but whatever then they've had they had like a right. little bit of a void you know right. and I think the NHL has been lucky that they got to kind of go from you know Lemieux and Gretzky to Ovechkin and Crosby and now maybe it'll be McDavid and Bedard or whoever um, seems like that's still Ovechkin. Yeah, it's still Ovechkin. Yeah, exactly. Because he's going to be the biggest name in hockey. 37, 38? He's going to be the biggest name in hockey the next few years because he's going to be chasing the biggest record. He's less than 100 goals away from Gretzky. No, but also I see. I mean, he's he's got – he has my color of hair. You know, he's got – Oh, yeah, he's totally had a gray hair. He's 37 years old. And he's – are there 10 better players in the league than him right now? Nope. Not offensively. Not offensively. Yeah, that's pretty – Yeah. He's still – I mean, he's almost got 20 goals already this year. If not that many, um, no, he's great. He's still great, and Crosby's still great too, and Patrick Kane's still great. So, um, and they have the remember Team North America. You know what made that great? All those guys were under twenty three. Those guys, yeah, were, right, know, under, right, still right. under twenty seven now. You know McDavid and that Snake Eichel and you know Austin Matthews and you know and, and Bedard. I'm telling you is frighteningly good. He's gonna make. He's gonna have a big. Is that right? Yeah, he's gonna have a big couple weeks at the World Junior coming up. This is kind of like his year to be the star of the Canada team, and he's going to be the star. He's going. He's really good. He's frighteningly good. I'm going to sound like a. Uh, I'm going to sound like a grizzled sports journalist. Does, does he have anything to say for himself? Well, hopefully, he has more to say than he David has. Yeah, hopefully, he has more to say than no. McDavid, I, mean, right? I mean, that's that's part of the issue, yeah. right? Yeah, because like, David's a total zero when it comes to personality. He's got nothing. Nothing. No, ho- that's the that's the thing about hockey, the culture of it. Like you're raised to be like it's about the boys, the team, yeah, you exactly, know, all right, that right. stuff. Yeah, you know. front of the jersey, yeah, not the back. And yeah, it's, that, it's, lo- it's lovely if you're a teammate, but when you're trying to like, yeah, no, hopefully, Bedard has a personality. That'd be good. Better yeah. than some of the past guys. Um, but I, you know, it's, he's so young. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I didn't, you know, probably someone in. Western, because he's a Western Canada guy. He's plays in the WHL. Maybe someone out there knows more than I do, but I can tell you he's frighteningly good, though. So, all right, let's give it. So, all right, Mister Wertheim, uh, at John. Is it is there an underscore? Or is it just at John Wertheim on Twitter? I don't even know what's what's Twitter. Um, yeah, there's an underscore. But, oh, I uh, thought there was an underscore, and you're yeah, posting a little bit more on Instagram too, right? People can go there. Yeah, yeah. I think in the end we'll just be on Twitter. Right. I think you're probably right. <laughs> think, we're all gonna we're all gonna yeah. uh no, we all hold our nose and then yeah. say, you know what, there's no one else that replicates this. If, if there's a better product on the market, I'm there, but right now we all just kinda hold our nose and carry on. Yeah, whatever. Um and uh of course sixty minutes in Sports Illustrated and all the great things. But thank you so much for the time. I probably kept you longer than I should have. I apologize. No worries. Say out of Paul. Yes, happy new year, happy holidays. Talk to you soon. All right, see you, buddy.
tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black haired beauty with big dark eyes and points all her own, sitting way up high. I want to thank John Wertheim for being on the podcast today. Always appreciate having Mr. Wertheim on the show. We're going to have Chris Ballard in a second. Before we do, people have been emailing the beautiful Paula Bennett at 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. And the emails are coming in. And if you listen to the 24-inch podcast, which you can find on this podcast feed every week, Paula answers emails that come in people ask paula questions and she's got a couple for us today so you get an idea of what that's like what's your first email baby well this one is from Allie, one of my friends all right from paula's good friend Allie. and what's Allie's question today what's your favorite pearl jam what's my favorite pearl jam song mm-hmm. oh that's a good question so my favorite pearl jam song is probably black do 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 but a lot of people like black. So if you're looking for one that I like, that's kind of personal to me, that's kind of my song, it's a song called Sad from the Lost Dogs album. And uh, I just love Sad so much. And I know your favorite is Given to Fly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember we used to sing it before you went to bed and stuff? Yeah. And you, rem- you remember the one time what happened? So I got a story. So Paul loves the song Given to Fly when she was like three or four years old. She used to always like for me to sing it to her. So I was singing it to her one time, and the word fuckers is in it. It's a swear word. So as I was singing it, and we were getting close to that swear word, I was like, ooh, I shouldn't say the swear word. So I said, um, uh, well, stinkers, he still stands. And Paul goes, dad, it's fuckers. She cr- and, we were, and then one of them you feel, but we were like singing um, two hearts. And I was like, Daddy, I need to brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the funny ones that I remember. Yeah, we were like singing one of the songs. And yeah. I was like, Daddy, I need to brush my teeth. Because <laughs> that's our song, right? Mm-hmm. Two hearts. Okay, what's the next email? I'm going to do Colston because he has a pretty good one. Okay, our dog Colston sent an email. What's Daddy's favorite brother? Oh, Colson started trying to start a fight, huh? <laughs> What's Daddy's favorite brother? Well, what do you think the answer is? Anthony. You think it's Anthony? No, he's my favorite. He's your favorite? <laughs> he's the rich one. He's the rich one. So you only like him because of his money. And he get me offensive stuff. Right. But Uncle Greg does more for you, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, Uncle Greg's actually around. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he still, he gives me good presents. Yeah. We don't want to hurt Uncle Greg's feelings. Yeah. I like both of them. Yeah. But I think you would. I think you're just a little blinded by the money. Mm. Yeah, I think you love Uncle Greg just as much. You don't you just... like both. You don't like both of your brother just a teeny bit because, one, they threw the bottle. And second, <laughs> yeah. me beat on Santa. Yeah, I used to have to change Greg's diapers and one time Greg peed on Santa Claus. Or no, it's Anthony that peed on Santa Claus, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Greg used to always throw his bottle all around. 
Well, my favorite brother, of course, is both of them. I love them equally. I have no favorite. Good try, Colston. Trying to cause trouble. And Vivi has a... This, this is, is the, the last one? one? Okay. And it's the best one. From your friend Vivi. 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Go ahead. What's your favorite team of all? Soccer, hockey, and football. Right here, baby. New okay. Orleans Saints. They've been my number one team since I was seven years old. They'll be my number one team forever. Now, here's the interesting thing. My number two team is probably Italy. Now, a few years ago, my number two team was probably the Sabres. But now it's probably Italy, then the Sabres, then the Braves, then the Sooners. So, But the Saints are my number one team. Who's your number one team? Well, I would do the, I would do the Saints. And for my favorite and for my second favorite um, football team, I would do. I would do definitely. I would definitely do. The Dolphins. Miami yeah. Dolphins. No. Pittsburgh Steelers. What's What's Tom Brady? Oh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. Oh, forget them, jerks. But he like he's here. Yes, Tom Brady is handsome, but they stink. Yeah, and I don't know what's wrong with his cheeks. His cheeks are weird all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. But Drew Brees is way more handsome than both of them, so I would say Drew Brees is like my best player. Okay. Team. All right, now. High school avalanche. You're not going to believe this. What? But an email just came into my email address from Colston, (laughs) and it's addressed to you. And it says, Paula, what parent do you love better, mommy or daddy? Oh, Dad. Well, hey, you're putting me on the spot. Colson did it to me now. Colson's doing it to you. What parent do you love better, Mommy or Daddy? (laughs) (laughs) Mommy, because she's the rich one? Daddy's the rich one. No, Mommy's got the cash. I like both of them, but Daddy's my number one favorite. Because I'm here right now. Mm -hmm. If Mommy was here, you'd say Mommy. Mm -hmm. Suck up. And... You help me a lot, and you help me with my snap board. And the mommy just, after I do one, miss them up, she goes, puts them right back in the folder. Like, <laughs> she doesn't even care. Okay. Well, you love us both. I'm just joking yeah. around with that. God bless mommy, right? Uh-huh. All right. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be joined by Chris Ballard. <laughs> Our last guest of season 12 is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Covers hoops there. He's also the author of one of the best books in the history of the book club, One Shot at Forever. He's nice enough to join us today to talk about a new book he worked on that's a compilation of 75 years of basketball articles in Sports Illustrated. A warm welcome to Chris Ballard. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Welcome back. I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks, Steve. You know, what was it, last year, we had, a, it was the 10 year of the podcast, this year, 11, uh, and we've done about two books at a time, that whole time, and I still tell people when they ask me, One Shot at Forever is one of my top five to 10 books we've read in the 11 years of doing the show. I still love it to this day. Oh, thanks, man. It's awesome. One of the best. One of the best sports books of all time. 
So well, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's it's been now what 12, 12 years, and a lot um, a lot has actually changed since then. The craziest part about writing that book is when I wrote it. You know, Brian Snicker was a third base coach. It's a baseball story for those yep. who aren't familiar. Uh, from the nineteen seventies, Brian Snicker was the third base coach for the Atlanta Braves, and uh, it was remarkable to watch the sequence of events that that transpired after to him going from that to going back to minor leagues to then you know, obviously becoming a, a World Series winning manager, which never, never would have even uh, crossed crossed my mind while writing that book. It's been really cool to see Brian's success. And you know what I love about Snit, and I'm kind of a Braves fan. I grew up in Buffalo. We didn't have a team, and the Braves are one of the few teams I could watch every day in the summer because they were on TBS. So I just kind of grew up following them, and I'm a fan of them. Is what I like about him is he's still a manager that manages. I had Joe Madden on the show. He wrote a book this year, early in the year, and he's, he kind of credits himself for bringing analytics to baseball. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. I like Joe though. He was great, and uh, he says when he brought it here to baseball. It was to serve the manager, and he feels now that analytics, the managers serve analytics, and you see fan bases complain about that, like in New York, for example, with the Yankees, where they complain that Boone is a slave to the binder and things like that. Well, I think one thing I appreciate about Snit, he's one of those guys that has found a good balance. He uses the information, uh, but he's not afraid to make a call by gut once in a while or, you know, to uh, let a righty swing when it says a lefty. You know, he, he, he still uses human nature as part of the equation you know since it is a huge human game he's a 3d manager i like to kind of think of him as so i'm, I'm kind of a big fan of him yeah yeah it feels like there's across sports there's few of them now but there certainly is a whole generation of coaches and managers who felt threatened by the analytics um and then there was another another portion that maybe relied on them too heavily for a period of time there and it feels like we're sort of hitting that nice combination where where across sports, most people are starting to realize, okay, this is a valuable tool, but it's one tool among many. Uh, you can't let it drive all your decisions, but you can't ignore it. And I think Snickers a great example because he's not going to try to dive into the numbers himself, but every for every game and you know every every week, you sort of get like here's a synopsis. Here's the most important stuff to consider. And maybe it sways you, you know, maybe it doesn't, but considering it without feeling threatened by it, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's he's really great at it, and, you know, I was a little disappointed with the playoff run this year. But I hate, I hate, I hate as a baseball fan when your team gets stuck in a pennant race like they had. I feel like that is absolute doom. Your team is gassed by the time the playoffs came around. I remember when I was... 13 years old, the Braves were in an intense one with the Giants. They had to chase him down all summer, you know, got win 104, and then waited around while the Giants lost to the Rockies. They ended up at 103, and then they lost to the Phillies team, the kind of infamous John Kruk, uh, Mitch Williams, uh, Phillies team that, uh, that I think they finished 15 games ahead of in the season or something like that. Um, in the NLCS, they're just gassed, and I think it happened to this year's Braves team. I think it happened to the Giants and the Dodgers last year to help the Braves win the World Series. You know, I think by the time the Dodgers got to the Braves in the NLCS, I think that they were a little gassed from trying to chase down the Giants all year and then playing a five-game classic with them too. So I think sure. that that's doomed for uh, for for your favorite team if they get into a just an absolute 
grind fest. I think the Braves playoff series was that series in New York against the Mets at the end of the year that they that they swept. I think it was kind of downhill just, from there. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so hard to repeat in yep. any sport these days, but especially in baseball because the amount of variance, right? I think like you know. Uh, basketball for many years seemed like the easiest because you could rely on a, a couple players and because you had a best of seven series. I probably still is the easiest to, to not, it's not easy, never easy. Right. But the, the most likely to pull it off, you know, football, one game and you're out and then baseball, it's just, there's so many factors and you, know, you can't, it's not like, you know, like if you can rely on, on, you know, LeBron or Curry for 30 and, um, and the other team's defense has to react to them. Every game of the finals, that's that's like uh, right. it's a pillar. Whereas if you can only pitch your ace pitcher once, and then they happen to have a bad day, you know you're toast. And it's probably why there's so many dynasties in basketball compared to other sports. And like hockey has a seven game series as well, but the attrition is such a thing in hockey because just playing every other night like that, like in Buffalo, maybe the best team we ever had in 2006. They get to the conference finals every single time they won a game in the conference finals. They lost a defenseman. Then they get to game seven, and they're literally playing organizational defensemen 12, 13, 14 in that game. You know what I mean? So I think the attrition in hockey makes it really difficult. Like you said, the one-game nature of football makes it difficult, and uh, the randomness of baseball, the small sample sizes. So I think you might be right about that in the NBA, and I think it reflects when you think of, you know, you had the Celtics teams, and you have the Lakers teams, and you have the Pistons teams. Then the Bulls need to get through them. Then the you know, then the Houston gets there too. Then it's back to the Bulls. You know, it's kind of always been like that. I feel like in basketball, these teams get to go on huge runs, and maybe it's the salary cap structure as well, or the way the sports devise. But I think you're onto something there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of basketball, you put together for Sports Illustrated something that I love. I love things like this. I'm a sucker for this. Uh, that's why I wanted to have you on because I want to make sure people get it it's called the basketball vault great writing from the pages of sports illustrated there was a hockey one that came out right around when this podcast uh, came out uh there's been i know verducci put out one of his baseball columns uh from the magazine uh the magazine itself has put out compilations like this spanning all sports um and then there's things like the best american sports writing series like that i love stuff like this i'm a sucker for it and although basketball might be my least favorite of the major sports, there's something about the writing of it that really resonates with me. The storytelling, the people who've done the storytelling. And I always think about Sports Illustrated and the incredible writers that have covered basketball over the years. You know, going back to Frank DeFord and, and even before that and then all on through an incredible, incredible locker room. If, if all the sports writers that covered basketball – uh, for Sports Illustrated, we're in one room. You might have the greatest collection of sports writers you could put together using any sort of random link, I think. And um, I don't know if you were thinking about that when you put this together, but sitting through it, flipping through it last night, looking at the names, reading the columns, it's just unbelievable uh, for a sports media nerd, the depth of of writers, the Jack McCollum and you know, just on and on and on. And we'll talk about some of them, but was that something you thought of when you're putting this together? Just how incredibly stunning the, 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 the depth of talent that have written about this sport for this magazine has been. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, from the outside, that's certainly one way to frame it from, you know, if you're uh, in the position um, fortunate enough to be the editor of this book, it was actually the flip. It was 
so hard. <laughs> so much <laughs> to great take, shit. Yeah. To take 70 years of stories, like 70 years, we're talking, you know, back, you know, Russell, Chamberlain, um, uh, by, by exactly what you're talking about, some of the best writers. Like there was a, there was a good stretch of 40 years where there wasn't really any other place for sports writing in the country. You know, Sports Illustrated in some ways invented the, feature writing obviously they've been a lot of good newspaper writers for for decades you know going going back to the early 1900s um but as far as feature writing went it was basically sports illustrated so you know like george plimpton wrote for si all these sort of um legends of the industry wrote for si and then the obviously that changed starting in, in sort of the 19 late 1990s and in and then the last 20 years here for sure um but so you take all that and then you take all these players who would give access to writers back then today for example i wrote the story on lebron and his sons last summer talking about sort of the weight of expectations and you know framed it from a parenting angle um and i'd done a couple stories on lebron prior to that but the amount of time and effort it took to get what amounted to about 30 minutes with lebron and bryce and Bronny, uh it was about six months and then even in that scenario uh, he had his handler listening in on the interview. And and if you think about it, it makes sense. If you're someone at LeBron's level, you don't you no longer need an outlet like Sports Illustrated ESPN, right? He has 100 million followers. He has his own production company. Like there the isn't a, a thing. There's, yeah, yeah like he, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't need outside media to get out if he wants to get out a message. Uh, people already know him. If people are trying to get to know him, if he wants to make a statement – he got a much wider reach just going on Instagram than he does speaking to most publications. So that that's the flip of how it used to be. So one of the stories in there, which I love is Frank DeFord. You mentioned one of the, someone, someone say maybe the greatest sports writer of all time. One of my all time uh, favorites. On, yeah. Yep. On Bill Russell, who some would, would say is the, you know, the, the winningest and maybe the greatest basketball player, arguably probably top five sure. um, of all time. Uh, and leader. it's late in his Yep, late, late, later in life, and Bill Russell, uh, you know, who passed away, R.I.P. Uh, he he basically goes to Frank DeFord and says, you know, I want to, I have some things to talk about. I want to do a story, and they take a road trip together, and so the story becomes Frank and Bill doing this road trip, but then Bill doesn't want Frank to drive, and and going back, it, the, the just the intimacy and the bond between this writer. And this athlete, where they you could tell it was a a horizontal relationship, right? So they was they saw each other as peers in some ways. Le- you know, lends itself to just a remarkable portrait of someone like Bill Russell. If you read the story, it's one of my favorites in there. Um, yeah, it's called today, the Ringleader for for anyone. Yeah, yeah. T- yeah. T- today, that kind of thing is pretty much impossible to pull off from a journalism standpoint. You know, you're you're getting. Yeah, athletes, they, uh, totally understandably, they are going to, uh, you know, use all the other outlets. They're not going to rely on one person's uh, writing a story about them, and especially writing the story and having complete control over the story on the back end. You know, it's sort of that balance has shifted. So anyway, like in in putting together a story, you know, you have 70 years, this is not the story, the book, 70 years of, of amazing things to choose from, and they're by the best writers, so... Uh, I think we had like 120 that I was starting with, and we ended up with 44 actually made the book. But it could really be 
two volumes very easily. It's almost like someone came up to you and said, hey, why don't you make a Beatles Greatest Hits record, but give me 10 tracks on that. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a line, and I read that uh, Russell story last night, and there's a line I highlighted in it. I don't know why, but it just tickled me. It said, uh, it kind of started a stanza or whatever. It says, Russell drove the Lexus into Oakland, period. And there's just something about that. I don't know. Pop me for whatever reason. <laughs> but um, I was lucky to have the Ford on when he did hit. He was doing his memoir. He was, um, he was going around, you know, not like. I was important. He was doing all kinds of things, but it's one of the great privileges just to think about having spoke with him for that long. And man, I loved reading this, and and I love the, the. I guess I, there's a there's a there's a history of it that just makes me really happy. You know, since we've been doing this doing this pod, some of my favorite books are basketball books. Jack McCollum's book about the Dream Team, Gene Wojciechowski's book about Christian Leitner, one gla- one one uh, the last great game, I think it's called. Um, mm-hmm. What else? Uh, Jeff Perlman's two Lakers books come to mind. Just some really great stories. I think this did a great job of of talking about it. Like you said, wow! You start. You said you started with 140 and cut it to 40. Is that what you said? One more time on the the numbers there. Yeah, I mean, like the original list was just just tons of bookmarks and suggestions, and who knows how many that was? Because I would right. I reached out to to people I respected, and and then eventually narrowed that down to a, a potential of about 100 and I think 110, 120. And then from there, it was really tough to cut it down. And then got, I think I got it to about 65. And then the <laughs> publisher, uh, Triumph and great editor there, Adam Moten, like, Chris, this book's going to be like 900 words. And while we like a thick book, you know, we got to cut more. So there were a few at the very end we had to cut that I was that were, that were hard to see go. Um, but the nice thing is, uh, you know, all these still all these still live on the web somewhere. Right. Um, and, and so like I wanted to include originally, I think there were like four Bill Russell stories because from different points in his life, one of them was one that he had written and it was so powerful. And then there was one with Gil Rogan that made the story. And there's the one the Ford did. Cause to me, Bill Russell is so much more than basketball. And he's, he's a, a character that you can read about multiple times and learn something new each time. Whereas sometimes if it's, you know, you probably only need like one Barclay story. I love Barclay, but you probably need one Barclay story. That that kind of right. element to it. Sure. Yeah. The uh, the, it would be a great maybe like a SI dot com series where you just the lost dogs kind of a thing. You know the the B side album where you yeah. just once yeah. a week put yeah. one of the ones that didn't quite make it up or whatever. Uh, because one of my favorite things about flipping through it too is the postscripts. You know what I mean? And yeah. reading a little yeah. little bit of something. You know what? Uh, Lee Jenkins is one of my favorite human beings that i've met through this podcast and you know just you don't get you don't get lee as much anymore you know now that he's on the 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 the, the team side of things and it's great to read some postscripts from him and um uh, people in general but i really like that part of it too just people reflecting or whatever was it hard to get those was it easy were people excited to look back on these things i know sometimes you can be like ah you know i sucked at writing then or something you know people are modest or whatever <laughs> yeah where yeah, people, yeah, yeah yeah well yeah first of all i should i should preface all this like i have no idea how many of your listeners actually this is like really for nerdy sports journalism stuff so I'll right, and that's me so we're back. let's do nerdy yeah. let's do that let's focus <laughs> yeah, on that yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm all in like on there's... that yeah yeah, like I lo- I love like the the making of elements of yep, same of anything. Like mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, some sometimes I like it. When I read a really good nonfiction book, 
I will probably, before I read the whole book, like it was Eric Larson or something like that, I'm definitely going to read how they pull this off, right? right. And I love the footnotes. I love the little things that, that someone can't find room for in the story, but they just can't bear to let go. Eric Larson is a mentor of mine, you know, author of Devil in the White City, books like that. And um, I love his footnotes because I know how Eric does it. He just can't let go of these footnotes, these just factoids, these amazing things, but they don't fit the narrative flow. So he puts them back there and you can spend a day just reading the footnotes and have a great time. Uh, and so, you know, I, if given, given my druthers, I would have probably weighted this <laughs> yeah, 20% postscripts because I love the process of these stories and I love the afterlife of a story and how, how if you give, you know, 20 years ago, someone wrote something and then now look through the prism, right? So uh, asking the writers to do this, um, you know, I'd say only like only one or two was I unable to to get a, a buy in from that because they were really busy or you know for some other reason. Um, well, and some of it passed know, but, away too. But you used old you used clips that of them reflecting on it from before yes. too, which was yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. And a couple examples. Um, you know, Lee is great, and I think I think I read in his story he's been on your podcast. It was like 19 times. 20 That's times. Amazing. Yeah, he made 20, 20 times. Yeah. 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 Lee's amazing. And so, of course, Lee's the kind of guy that one, you know, he's in the middle of the Clippers. This is last year. You know, Clippers are, are like late season. He's got 10 things on his plate and he's like, boom, gets yeah. it back to me right away. Offers to rewrite something. Just a total pros pro. Hold on. I have one on um, that. Listen, this is what he did for yeah. me. This is what he did for me. I'm nobody, right? A nobody. He did one hour with me across the street from the arena for game seven of the NBA finals. Like we did the hour, he finished, he walked across the street to cover game seven of the NBA finals. Oh, that's amazing. And he's just the best, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to throw yeah. that in. Yeah. 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 But that's, you know, cause writers spend so much time and energy on these stories and the process is often a winding road and there's detours. And I often find that, you know, it's the nerdy thing more interesting than the story itself in some cases how did someone get this access what was the athlete like in person you really get a, it's those little moments i mean i'll give you one example early in my career at si i started there in 2000 you pretty quickly whenever you interviewed an athlete get a sense for who they were and i remember going in like my second year at si flying out to denver to do a story on the nuggets and carmelo anthony who was then young and up and coming in the league uh, and I remember they had arranged, the media people had arranged for me to meet Carmelo in the lobby of the hotel where he was staying uh, at like the hotel bar. I was like, great. You know, this is sort of, you know, it's not a locker room. It, it'll be a sort of a little, hopefully, intimacy, a one-on-one kind of conversation. I think I had 20 minutes with Carmelo, which is uh, n- not a lot, um, obviously, but, you know, enough to get the job done. Um, and, I you know, going down. in, you're thinking, eh, maybe we'll stretch that to 40. You know, you go to the, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah, talking. Like, he know, won't want to leave after yeah, 20. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know, you never know. But he yeah. was young, and I think Carmelo has changed. I interviewed him later in his career, and he was different. But at least at this point in his career, in this point in his life, Carmelo spent the entire interview looking at his phone. Oh, God. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, but immediately, I got a sense for who he was in that moment. And, you know, like, you can put that in the story, but... Yeah, I don't know. It didn't seem totally fair. I don't know. I spent 20 minutes with a person. I can't judge them entirely. What else is going on in his life? You know, who knows? Like, there's a lot of other factors. But it immediately told me how much respect he had in this professional situation and his larger understanding of the media's role and all these kind of things. So 
to take the same thing, there are there, there's a 45 minute story behind every big story you read that that writer can tell you. And so what I hope to do is get a little bit of that flavor in these postscripts. Or if someone wrote a story and, uh, you know, like in, in the case of the LeBron story, it was Grant Wall, who who has your listeners probably know recently passed away. It was yeah, no, we talked very, about it for yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very, very tough um, for a lot of people, obviously, and you know, those of us who knew Grant. Um, but Grant had written that story about LeBron, and it was one of his first stories. And he was just, if you read that postscript, you can see he was just so pleased that this story that he got to do it, that it had, that it had lived on, that it had this second life. And that looking back, he's like, Oh, it actually held up. And so he provides a little backstory on it. Um, you know, the, the process of it. And, you know, like you're sent to cover a high school player. You have no idea. You've heard a lot, a lot of hype, but you know, that it could be Freddie Adu. Right. You know, I was just thinking him. His out. name was just yeah. in my head. Yeah. 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 Uh, which, you know, Grant references in there as well. Um, so those, those little moments, um, were probably some of my favorites of, of working on the book. And it's just a great excuse to reconnect with these old colleagues of mine, too. Yeah, I think you probably, like me, loved that Beatles thing that came out on Disney+. Plus. You know, where it was oh, just... Oh, that was so great. Yeah, cause, and, and that's kind of what this is, in a way. You know what I mean? It was just, you got to see how, you know, what that one... I forget what song it was, but, like, I think it might have been Get Back. Like, you see McCartney just kind of shows up, and he's got nothing. And then he's just, like screwing around and then like 10 minutes later he's got get back maybe it's a different song what i can't remember from last year but yeah 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 and we're time we're just and i were just talking about that 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 piece and he had did a, something for 60 minutes on it too but um i think that's what this is and i think what you love it like i do and i, I want to talk about lebron but i, I want to go for grant real quick too because you brought him up uh he was on the show on and off over the years and he wrote a cover in si about mario bellatelli I'm a huge Italian soccer fan. I've been my whole life. I was, you know, Italian American kid, and we talked about that. He's been another time. He was actually uh, this year. I had a, a bowel reconstruction surgery. Not my first rodeo, but um, I had one at the beginning of the year, and in, and and then I ended up having an inf- infection. And but in between the the surgery and the infection, I was home and I, I wanted to do an, an episode. And Italy was getting ready to play in the playoff to make the World Cup, which of course they didn't. And um, I had I called Grant or I wrote Grant and I said you know will you come on I got some soccer stuff oh yeah of course you know and he comes on and I had him roaring because I was just bitching about Italy you know and I had him was laughing so hard about I was complaining about Jorginho missing penalties and the European champions not getting an auto bid and just all this I was being silly he was laughing it up whatever then before I could put it up I got the infection and I remember when I came home it was actually him and him and Richard Deitch I had to get back to and say hey I'm so sorry I wasted your guys time. That stuff's kind of stale now, and you know, but neither of them obviously cared. But Grant was especially sympathetic. Well, Richard was too. I don't want to say that they were both great. But um, Grant just said to me, like, you know, hey, when you feel better, call me. We'll do it again. And uh, I called him, and and he was super busy getting ready for a World Cup. And he's like, I, I'm super super busy, but I can give you 30 minutes, and that's more than enough time, obviously. And I was like, well, you know what? I felt bad. I was like, listen, why don't instead I respect you're busy, do your thing, I'll connect with you. When you get back, we can talk all about it. And he's like, yeah, dude, I'll give you an hour, as much time you need when I get back. So he was just unbelievable and incredible loss. And condolences to you and everyone at SI. I knew him and, and loved him. And, um, yeah, Wertheim and I talked about it as well, and I talked about it on the show last week. He was he made his mark everywhere, even small independent podcasts that don't matter to anyone, uh, like this one. So 
I love them. Yeah, there was yeah. Um, earlier earlier this week. Uh, this week being uh, the week leading up to Christmas for those for those right. listening. There was this um, uh, his family along with FIFA and U.S. Soccer held a memorial service in New York, and uh, I was not able to make it out being on the West Coast. But they had a a webinar, and you could you know for for the friends of of Grant. Oh, wow, that's who, great! Like you, a zoom you in could kind of a thing. You could zoom in. It was I mean it was remarkable, and talking to the people that that were there, seeing the uh, effect that he had on so many people, and it part of what made the service amazing was that you had a series of incredibly eloquent people speaking about him. So it was John Wertheim spoke, and Mark Mravick, who is a longtime editor, spoke, and Alex Wolf spoke. And then Celine Gunder, his um, his wife, yeah. his wife, yeah, who uh, sort of took us through the narrative of their relationship and their life together in Grant, and just like the best stories, all these people were embedding these little human details. You know, sometimes someone passes away, and and there's an outpouring of emotion, and they are lionized. But what what makes you really appreciate someone like Grant, and and, and feel his impact is all the little details So he had this, this high pitched laugh. Right. And he would get, he would get so upset if editors changed his copy, like these, yeah, these promo human, was saying that. These, yeah. yeah, like these, yeah, yeah like these, like these human details that, uh, I mean, I, I remember Grant was Grant. I mean, I was one of those writers who wrote mainly NBA for a long time. And then I wrote a lot of stories that had an overlap with society, human interest, uh, but I wrote four four soccer stories, um, and each time Grant was amazing. I wrote a piece on Jurgen Klinsmann, and that's like right in Grant's wheelhouse, right? Sure. He was super helpful. Like, I'm going to help you out. He didn't feel stepping on his turf at all. He did the opposite. He helped me out with it. I wrote a big story about the World Cup in 2014. Grant was amazing. He was that guy. He was welcoming rather than exclusionary. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a different conversation for another day, but... Uh, uh, so, um, uh, so tough to, for someone so vibrant. And, well, and I young. was, I was touched. Real. I was touched by the way LeBron, um, you yeah. know, it, it sent the, the, the tweet out, you know, the story is, the story's in here. I'm pretty sure it was in here, um, about the, the chosen one and, and everyone yep. remembers the cover, kind of an iconic SI cover. And, uh, I was touched that I think that says something about, um, Grant, you know, someone as huge as LeBron took the time out to, to, uh, to, to pay respects, and and I think, you know, and rest in peace to Grant. Like I said, he was he's in the top ten of people who was great to me, probably really high on that list too. Um, and I and I'm just one of the many. You know, I think uh, Billy Joel was, you know, dead on on uh, that song, right? It's only the good. But uh, as far as LeBron, it's, uh, there's no way to transition out of that. But LeBron did pay his respects, and, and I think LeBron, in some way, does respect that side too. Um, you know, he, he gave Jenkins the scoop when he he knew what a disaster the the um, what was it called again? The thing in Connecticut, the uh, the decision, the decision. He knew what a disaster yeah, yeah, that was. How do you rebound from that the next time? Well, you call Lee Jenkins, right? And um, and the Grant story and. Uh, uh, then I think Grant wrote a sports per- or excuse me, uh, Lee wrote a sports person of the year story about him in 2016, maybe. And uh, I think he's got great respect for the magazine. And, and I think that that is because of the, 
like uh, the, the thing we started with, right? The the incredible people have written about basketball for this magazine. Yeah, I've actually done um, four cover stories on LeBron now, and had a chance to wow, watch yeah. him evolve. The first one, the first one was two thousand and four, so two thousand four, two thousand and six, two thousand and nine. And then this past summer, um, and it's like we are—it's weird, both like especially in the media, but but, but also as sports fans, like we are so fortunate that this is the guy carrying the banner for the league. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, he gets it. He gets the importance of being a standard bearer, right? You know, even if you if you watched when they had um, for the All Star game you know it was like the durant and lebron go on tv and pick the teams you know this is a, a right. yeah, they what, came up with what's his name was the last pick right um yeah Harden, yeah, right? yeah 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 and Le- lebron gets it like he gets the entertainment value that he understands like he he takes the all-star game seriously he's one of those guys like Giannis that does that like, he uh he will speak up when necessary and yeah i mean he's also he's a dramatic guy and he's LeBron but but he has always understood the value of media he's understood that this is part of what makes the game globally so important and he also understands that it requires a certain level of um, transparency and humanity you know for for the story that I worked on this past summer I went back and read like, all the coverage I could then uh, and, and you find like this amazing Jean, Jean Marie Laskis piece from GQ where it's basically, she's a, she's a tremendous feature writer. She basically just following LeBron around as he goes to get ice cream with his kids and at his house. I'm, I'm guessing she had like a four-hour shadowing window with the family back then. And she's packing it with details. And it gives you this insight. And every time Lee would do the same thing, talking to Lee about these stories, LeBron would give he gives you something real. Um, and if you, like, I had 30 minutes with him this summer. And every, like, I've talked to Adam Dorson, the editor, about it. Like, every answer you could have run. Like, he was so intentional in his answers. He's not just rattling off stuff. He doesn't believe in saying the same thing twice. He's not going to give you a stock answer. Whereas, once upon a time, he totally did. Like, in 2006, LeBron was tough. He would, he would all his answers would be declarative sentence. Right. You know? Yeah. Someone would ask after him, be like, uh, we played poorly tonight. And then he'd have a second sentence that explained why this happened and this happened, this and this, and then he'd just stop. That'd be it. And so that he would give you this quick, efficient answer. And now he's evolved into someone who recognizes people want to know the process. They want to understand. They want to see who you are. Yeah. Yeah. He's done some great, great things in, in media and, and, you know, he's not perfect. Nobody is, but he's definitely, um, Definitely a great face for the sport. Did you feel weirder at all? Did you have to be prodded a little bit? I know how we can be about putting your own stories in. I'm glad you did, but did, did, were, you, did were you held back at all? Did you by yourself by your own insecurities? Yeah, that, you know, I, have I, your, I, yeah. Uh, that was a conversation we had a lot at Triumph um, with the editor, and they, they were like, you know, "Chris, if you're the if you're the editor and you're the annotator." Um, we want your stories in there. And I was like, eh, I don't really want to put more than like right. two in. <laughs> I wanted to put like two in. They wanted me to put six in. And so we met in the middle with four and one of them's in there in part. It's not 
the greatest story ever. It's a, uh, I think it's, a, it's an okay story. It's pretty good. Um, about Connie Koonsman, uh, who was a basketball player in the early 1980s who was murdered um, uh, during the very short run of the first true women's professional basketball league. Uh, and the reason we put it in is because Sports Illustrated has been very good at many things over its time, but it does not have a good track record. It has a terrible track record, if you take the entirety of it, of covering women's sports. And so in trying to choose stories about women's basketball, we had a period where we had very, very talented women writing about basketball for SI. Kelly Anderson, Jeanette Howard, Shelly Smith was with us for a while. Um, Jackie Mack was with us for a little bit. But what would happen is like Shelly Smith left and went somewhere else and never really wrote many features. Jackie Mack was writing columns. Kelly Anderson was great, but they wouldn't really give her much space. She, she might get like a 1,500-word story. And it was something you could tell. That she, they were like, okay, Kelly, go write about this thing. But then the rest of the, the writing about it was done by the the men on staff. And some of it holds up. Like DeFord wrote a good story about Tarazi that's in there. But a lot of it really doesn't. You know, it's interesting. You go back you go back and read it and it's you know, it's it's either a little bit condescending or it's sexist or um and so it was like, okay, you know, trying to find something. Uh, I found Alex Wolf did a great story on Becky Hammond, but you really had to go into the modern era. And so, you know, one of mine is because it's written in 2022, and it's about a history of women's league that wasn't covered. So there's a little bit of that going on in in trying to cover um, as much ground as possible in the book when the two areas where SI has has really lacked is in hiring diverse writers uh, and in, in hiring and championing uh, women's writers. They still have issues with both these things. Um, and part of that is, as, as a result... Um, you know, the stories and the writers to choose from, uh, despite the amount of amazing writing, uh, are still limited in those two ways. You think, because you, I, 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 I'm sure you're right that the, the representation of women's basketball isn't great. That's even true of like tennis and some of the other women's sports that I've known. I've read many articles in SI about, no, you, 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 well, yeah, you so, probably know better than me. Maybe it's just a perception well, thing. Well, yeah, but. I think it's part of that is because the growth of women's basketball uh, is not commensurate with like tennis, for example, right? So tennis, obviously, you know, women's professional tennis uh, has been an important national topic for, you know, more than half a century. As I say, you at know, least you the know. 70s, right? At least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Billie Jean King yeah. and Chris Everett Lloyd, right? So if there was, but even even then it was, it was men writing about it, right? Um, uh, and the, you know, the same would go for women's soccer. Like really it wasn't until Mia Hamm came along that you saw uh, coverage of that. And part of this also dovetails with women's sports. I did a, a podcast for Audible earlier this year um, about uh, sort of the, some would say the cartel that is the NCAA. And, you know, one of the episodes, we really dove deep into history behind women's sports and Title IX, but everything that happens after it. Uh, and it's, it's like the game was rigged, right? The game, it's, it's still rigged. And you, you look at like the, you know, the women's national team finally getting some level of pay equity with the women's national team in, uh, versus men in soccer, you know, all this time later, despite being more profitable and, and more successful for all these years. Anyway, I'm going on a huge tangent here. Sorry, Steve. But That's right. uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think I think what ends up happening was we had writers on staff. So when we would write about women's sports that's who you sent, right? And so the staff writers were mainly male and they would write about it. And they really like, 
they they wrote some amazing stuff. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, but in looking through and trying to get an anthology where women's basketball, WNBA has only been around, you know, 20 odd years, uh, and you couldn't include college basketball, the pickings were a little bit slimmer. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. The The book, again, is called The Basketball Vault, Sports Illustrated, The Basketball Vault. Great writing from the pages of Sports Illustrated, edited and annotated by Chris Ballard, who's with us today. Chris, do you have a favorite story in here? Can you pick one? I think the – well, there's like this favorite stories for the writing, which might be right. Gary Smith's story, Crime and, Crime and Punishment. No surprise. Because uh, yeah. yeah, Gary, Gary was such a yeah. Yeah, amazing stylist. And then there's the the stories that surprised me in putting together the anthology. And that would be, I think, the Gil Rogan one on Bill Russell from 1963. Gil was a New Yorker writer who didn't write that much for SI, but he wrote about Bill Russell. And if you read that story, it is such a startling time capsule of life in America in 1963 and of a young athlete who already knew that his role was going to be larger than sports. I mean, Bill Russell in this story is very frankly speaking about how basketball is just this sort of silly game. And he sees the need for change. And it's basically a civil rights story embedded into a sports story, which is what SI's best has always been. Um, and looking back now to, to 1963 and uh, the, the amount of respect you have for Bill and the amount of respect I had for Gil for in a way getting that right in a time when I bet a lot of writers uh, would not have because of prevailing prevailing conceptions at the time. Yeah, and I think something unbelievable about this is you can read a story from 1963, you can read a story from 2022, you can read a story from the 80s, one from the 90s. You know, it really covers the history of the magazine really well, which I really appreciated. And it's one of those things, like I said in the beginning, that I'm a sucker for. And although maybe it's too late for a Christmas gift, certainly if you're Italian and you got you need a Bufana needs to bring something on uh, in a few days, January 6th, uh, this could be something for that. Um, but the basketball vault, good for any occasion. I really love it. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it. What else you got going on? What 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 is 2023? I'll let you out of here on this. What does 2023 have in store for Chris Ballard? What are you, what are you looking forward to? What do you want to cover? What are you writing? What, what's what's the year going to be like for you? I've got uh, actually the cover story in SI in January, so I can tell you about that. Okay, um, it's it's very basketball nerdy, and it's about the demise, the lost art of post play in the NBA, and of those who love it and teach it. Think of it a little bit like a like a you know the swan song and and the typewriter salesman. You know, still, still believing in right, or phone books. this. This, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. This, this dying art. So I went down to Houston and spent some time with Hakeem Olajuwon and and had some really interesting conversation with a bunch of people, uh, trying to get at sort of beyond the actual nitty gritty of basketball. Of course, there's some of that in there, but also why it is that that we're drawn to these particular crafts and why they may matter. You know, if you if you suddenly devalued. Home runs, if home runs just evaporated from baseball because post ups used to be dominant. You talk about like Will right. Chamberlain and Bill Russell and you know, Wilt scoring fifty points a game, basically posting up and not shooting outside of eight feet. And now, even the like the most frequent post up teams, like the Nuggets with Jokic, post up six times a game. So here's this six. lost art. Wow. Six, six. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the post, but just like 
backing a guy down and going into your moves and counters. Like Shaq, these- right? I mean, that's what I, th- yeah, I think exactly. of Shaq, right? Yeah. yeah, so that is, for a ton of reasons that I get into the story, you know, that's gone. And it, I'm just curious, like, it's such a big sea change in this sport, and there's people whose legacies and lives were built on this, you know, coaches and and players. And, you know, we always talk about Michael Jordan still or Magic Johnson because we see their play mirrored in today's league. But you don't really see, like, Hakeem Olajuwon's play or even like David Robinson so much or Patrick, like those guys aren't mentioned as much. And they were everyone when I was growing up. Every star was that guy. Yeah. 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 Everyone was trying to get that dominant center in the middle. You always pick the Um, center, right? That's why Jordan wasn't the first pick. You always pick the center. That was the thing. Yep. So yeah. So this, that's just, that'll be the story in January, which is hopefully, hopefully, you know, we'll, uh, people enjoy it. Interesting. Is it because, the evolution of the three point, like from a basketball sense, is it because you know the stuff Curry's of the league they've dominated now? The point guards are distributing the ball to the outside for well, those threes. Is that the? I'm just think I don't you know. Again, I'm a mo- moderate basketball fan, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that? I mean, that's an it's a it's another 45 minute conversation. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll do it in January like maybe the, when the when the article yeah, comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of factors, some of which you may not uh, consider or have thought of. So yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Chris, what's your Twitter? 33, oh boy, right? Chris I can, Ballard. If I can remember, it's at, I think it's at Chris underscore Ballard 33. As long as yep. anyone is still using Twitter. <laughs> that's right. I think they are. <laughs> I think they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And hopefully you can go there. I'm sure to, you link articles and stuff there, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, yep, you were right about it. At Chris underscore Ballard 33. And uh, as Chris com. you can go there as well. Um, you ever think about doing the Substack thing or newsletter thing or some more stuff? Are you just kind of focused on your SI stuff or do you want to branch out or what do you think, see as the future of Chris Ballard writing? Well, I'm working on a book that I can't quite talk about yet. Yeah, but I've, I've heard that be, before. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that would be cool. And <laughs> okay. then I'm actually, uh, I haven't mentioned this before, but I'll tell you, Steve. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I am considering toying with the idea of a newsletter, but not in the way that uh mark stein or ethan strauss all these guys do it certainly would it would be like uh like a, a, a sort of fun side thing it would be very nerdy about actually playing basketball getting older okay. and playing getting older yourself and playing basketball and how to how to prolong uh your your playing career as like a recreational athlete because it's the kind of thing that i spend way too much time thinking and talking about with my friends i hear you and i've always wished yeah. i've always wished there was some kind of resource for that like, can someone tell me, you know, my knee hurts, like, uh, and I'm in my mid-40s and I'm trying to play hoops this weekend. Like, what should I do, right? I've always wished for that kind of stuff and, and for a community around that. Um, so I was sort of toying with that idea. Well, as an early 40s hockey player who's played my whole life and is still fighting those things as well with a, with a mid-80s colon, you know, a, an early 40s human being with a mid-80s colon still trying to get out there, that seems really great. And I'm sure it crosses over. Not just to basketball, but getting out there and playing any sport uh, will be great. All right. I want to thank yep. you, Chris. Uh, hope you have a great holiday. Happy New Year, all that. You know, this podcast has been around for 11 years, and I haven't been perfect. And some of the mistakes I've made over the years have been at your expense, and I apologize for that. But I thank you for coming back uh, to talk about this awesome awesome book and hopefully we can do it again soon i really appreciate it and as i said at the beginning and i want to say it again if you're looking for a great sports book one of the best we've read here and i'm not saying that because chris is on and you know if you listen you know it's not because i've said it a hundred times one shot at forever is one of the best 
Great. Thanks a lot, Steve. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Have a good holiday. Okay. thank john wertheim and i want to thank chris ballard for being on the podcast today don't forget you can hear this episode all episodes from season 12 and all episodes from seasons 1 to 11 on our soundcloud page it's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters you can also find us on twitter at sports underscore casters you can email me the sportscasters at gmail.com and of course five star reviews are always appreciated Don't forget to check out my good friend Peter Winson on his page. Greetings from Allentown, one of the best wrestling podcasts of all time. It's kind of morphed into a new show called Greetings from Allentown Live with his friend Keithy. You can check out all the information on that at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, If you're looking for a Christmas gift for your favorite friend who loves the Colorado Avalanche, how about coloradohockeynow.com at a dater? Dot com for that 24 inch podcast paula dave and i at two four inch podcast at gmail.com every other monday we got one episode left of that for the year Daddy, yes honey oh paula's got an announcement i just got a new from santa news from santa baba natalie what's up baba that's how bad the blizzard is okay He's still going to be coming to every p- people, even the world. Oh, thank world. God. We're going to still get our gifts. Yes. Despite the blizzard. Even more than Russians. Even more than the Russians. Very good. God bless America. they have a war coming on because they heard that on the news. Oh, yeah. They're in war with Ukraine, right? And ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. All right. One last thing for the sportscasters this year. Uh, obviously, it was not the easiest year we've ever had. Uh, the podcast had a great year. The year before, I had the wonderful opportunity to be interviewed by John Wertheim for a Sports Illustrated profile. Uh, it was our 10th year, 11th season, 10th year. Everything was going great. And I said goodbye at this time last year uh, for the season finale and expected to be back shortly in January. Uh, January came, I did one episode of the 24-inch podcast and starting recorded interviews for the season premiere of the Sportscasters when I got sick and had to be taken to the hospital in an ambulance and I had a bowel reconstruction and that led to an infection and that led to 60 days in the hospital, two surgeries, 133 days with a bag. Hard days, it was tough. It was very hard for me because I had to go to school without even knowing Daddy was going to be home. Yeah. And mommy pranked me when I saw when I walked in the house. I was like, "Where's daddy?" And she said, "He had to go to the doctor, and he had to go to this medical doctor for a few days." Like she uh. literally like missed me for the whole story. Like she said, she had to go to the doctor, and like he went somewhere else, like somewhere like that. Yeah. Like a little place for medical. Well, it was a hard time mm-hmm. for everyone in our family. Uh, for Paula and for my wife and for Colston and, of course, for myself. But we fought through it and we got through it. And then in August, uh, 
July, August time, we were able to come back. John Wertheim, or excuse me, Andrew Marchand and John Orand uh, were on the first podcast back. And it felt good to be doing this again. And this podcast really tends to be therapy for me. You know, it's something that when things aren't going great, I can focus on. It gives me a purpose sometimes. Um, I love doing it with Paula. I love Paula's interest in podcasting. Um, she, you know, is getting, gaining confidence. She's a regular cast member on the 24-inch podcast. So it's something that we do together, like watching wrestling or, or watching TV shows or all the other kind of things that we do. But this is something that's kind of our thing. We come in here, you know, just before this started, I said, hey, I'm going to finish the Sportscasters episode. You want to help me? Yeah, of course I want to help you. She came in with me and stuff like that. So that's great. Uh, but I want to thank everyone who listened to an episode of the show this year. Listen to two episodes, all the episodes, five minutes, one interview, whatever. Uh, I appreciate you for doing it. I'll definitely be back next year. Uh, this is a season finale, not a series finale. Uh, the sportscasters will live to see uh, season 13 next year. It'll be the 12th year of the show, 13th season. And uh, we're going to keep reaching for the stars. I've been working really hard uh, to get Drew Brees on the podcast. Hopefully uh, next year that'll happen. Uh, I still want to get Jim Nance on the podcast. I still want to get Troy Aikman on the podcast. There's just so many guests I still want to get. Yes, Paul. You just said Drew Brees. Yeah, I, I've been trying. We need them yeah. back on the Saints. They <laughs> last year they were doing fine uh-huh. because they got they were just ejecting, and yeah. now this year they're not ejecting. And they're like, I need. I'm just doing this one. <laughs> like they're throwing to the other. They're throwing to the other team. Yeah, they stink. They're awful. Uh, but hopefully, this podcast is not going to turn into the Saints without Drew Brees. Hopefully, we're going to stay like the Saints yeah. with Drew Brees. Um, but I'm going to keep pushing forward. I'm uh, going to keep working hard. I'm feeling good uh, so far. So hopefully, my health holds up through season 13. We can do more episodes than we did this year. I know this season was a little shorter. Hopefully, we continue to grow. Hopefully, the 24-inch podcast gets more episodes and continues to grow. But for where I am tonight, in a blizzard, you know, I was kind of hoping that this Christmas, I got sick last Christmas. That's kind of when it started. Uh, on Christmas Day, remember, I didn't go to our our parties and stuff. I was homesick. Yeah, and he didn't even want to see me open presents up. But that's what happens every year, kind of. I always watch you open your presents. <laughs> and last year, I was like, oh, I'll only watch a few, and I end up pretty much watching all of them. Mm-hmm. I was just sitting alone on the couch and just not feeling well. Yeah, and I usually do the stocking for in your life. Yeah, I wasn't feeling great. Uh-huh. And I kind of had this vision that when Christmas came around this year, that it would be perfect and that I would kind of reclaim what I lost last year. But now here we are in a blizzard and it's not going to be the same Christmas. And it just goes to show that no matter what, there's always going to be adversity. There's always going to have to be things that I need to fight through. I'm always going to have Crohn's disease. Yes. And I have a problem too. What's that? You know the problem. Your eye? Yeah. yeah, it started like a few weeks ago. Yeah, you scratched it. Yeah, but the doctor said it's not a scratch. Like the eye doctor, they said it's like a bruise. Mm-hmm. And it was a scratch, but now it's like turning into a bruise. Right, it's healing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we also were going to try to see if you could get a third eye put in. Dad! What? Stop! I thought you said you wanted a third eye put in. No, 
I don't. Stop with this joking right now, Dad. But think about how cool it would be to have a third eye. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see. I don't. No one else would have a third eye. What if you get to put like on the back of your head? No. Then you could see behind you. No. All right. Well, I guess that's not gonna happen. But the point is, is I think that I had this ideal of what things were gonna be like this week, and they're not that. There's something different, and I think that's just a lesson for me that it's you always want it to be a certain way, but it might be something different, but that's okay too. And as long as I got my girl Paula, I got my family, I got my friends, I got the podcast, I got the listeners, I'm going to be just fine. So I want to say Merry Christmas. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. Um, hope everyone's safe and healthy and happy. And uh, we'll see you back here in 2023. Paula, any last words? 